0: Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the archipelago. So, have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at Wow, what is that silver object? Twenty-first century Squad. Secrets of Area Fifty-One revealed. I'm from Sirius A, not Sirius B. Who are you? Huh? Yeah, hey,
1: mama. Time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to another episode of All Night with the Living Geeks, a podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness in the weird world in which we live. I'm your host Taylor, and across from the virtual desk for me tonight is my brother Seb. Seb, how you doing? Hey, good evening. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing just fine, thanks. Doing just fine. Happy Happy March, Happy Time Traveler Awareness Month, and. I'm very excited to say uh, that back from a long overdue uh, break, respite, whatever you want to call it, it is our friend John. John, welcome back.
2: Oh my goodness, I'm here. It's been 12 episodes. Oh God, has it been that long? I don't know. It probably hasn't, hasn't, but let's just call it an even 12. But here I am. Oh my God,
1: it's been far too long. Yes. Welcome back. Very excited to have you both with us tonight. We've got um we've got a fantastic topic. We're we're launching um what we're calling our hashtag Road to year Ooh. Yes.
2: I've heard of that.
1: Uh you have. You both have. I'm 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 proud to say I've gotten you both turned on to the life-changing documentary that is hell We're going to eventually talk about it later this year. But we decided that in order to talk about it and not constantly get sidetracked into explaining other things that relate to the case, we are going to spend the next number of months focusing on a bunch of different topics that kind of factor into Hellier as we lead up to it. Uh, So with that said, we need to jump into what is new in our weird worlds. Seb, what's going on with you?
0: Well, I'm happy to say that I recently purchased a new automobile. Um, My Saturn of 19 years has uh, kicked the bucket. Thank you. Thank you. And my coworker um, helped me bless my new car with an ancient Persian ritual um, that involves some folklore and specifically the placing of four chicken eggs under each tire of the car and then driving over all four, simultaneously smashing them. It has some roots, apparently, in um, animal sacrifice. Interesting. Um, so that was exciting. I'm, I'm sorry to say that one of the four eggs actually popped out from under the tire unbroken. And when that happened to her ex, now ex-husband's car in Tehran, a tree limb outside a hospital fell and crushed it. So I think I might actually be cursed yikes but it's all good we actually took that egg and placed it back under the tire again and ran over it a second time so each tire got a little bit of yolk so hopefully that'll (laughs) like appease whatever the interesting thing is i think the mazda car company is named after the god of the zoroastrian religion so i guess i probably should have bought a mazda rather than a hyundai but oh well
1: (laughs) well in this day and age you know you kind of buy what's in stock and and i it looks like you got a really cool car so i'm stoked for you and that's really kind of an interesting Thanks. uh uh interesting situation totally oh, yeah. <clears throat> so john i know it's been a while have you you had anything weird going on maybe just not in the past month but you know in the past while
2: i honestly <clears throat> cannot think of of any extremely yeah. weird that's happened, however many months.
1: <laughs>
2: I right. Also, I honestly could not, off the top of my head, think of anything, which is weird because usually something weird happens and I'll I message you right away.
1: <clears throat> yeah.
2: Um. But I can't. I yeah. I I don't have anything. Well,
1: that's okay. Hopefully this starts weirdness anew for you. Yeah. Um. For myself, it was really kind of interesting because last month we talked about the Loveland Frogman. And I would say that February in general saw an absolute resurgence in discussions on the Loveland Frogman case thanks to both the uh, Kryptonaut podcast, who I think did like three weeks just talking about it. Wow. Um, And yeah, and um, the Our Strange Skies podcast also uh, brought... Uh, Loveland up in one of its episodes in February so that was that was kind of a interesting bit of timing on all of our parts to be talking about it again um, and I, I know John you and I just saw each other last weekend uh, yeah. down in, at Gallifrey One uh, the yeah. Doctor Who convention that which is an awesome convention if you're a fan of Doctor Who yeah. uh, I would always say recommend uh, checking it out um, and I had some kind of strange I wouldn't call them synchronicities i wouldn't call them synchronous moments but there was definitely a, a a vibe of serendipity happening as i was trying to either uh cross <clears> the <class throat> with a couple of people um mm. to either purchase or trade some things um, uh yes yeah and so how it worked out was really weird like i was in the middle of listening to a fantastic interview um and my heart was just going kind of out of control um and, and breathing wasn't slowing, slowing it down or anything. Um, and so I'm like, I just, I've got to go outside. I've got to step out. Um, and so stepped out, went, kind of grounded myself in a grassy area uh, that the hotel has. Um, and then ultimately came back in and crossed paths with someone who I was looking for to try and um, uh, get a little pride heart for one of my kids that they had made, um, especially for them. So that totally worked out. Um, And then the next day had another situation where I, again, I was in the middle of listening to an interview and I was kind of like, Oh, I'm kind of tired of the, uh, the, the vest I've got on. I kind of wish I had my, um, uh, my bag of holding my messenger bag with me. So I'm like, I'm going to run back up to the room and grab that real quick. And as I'm going back up to the room, I cross paths with someone (coughs) who I had wanted to get a, um, It's like a do not disturb door hanger uh, that has the pattern of the old Marriott LAX uh, carpet Uh, on it. So it was just these these situations where the universe was like, you're going to need to be here in about this much time. So I'm going to make something happen to you so that you end up there. And this is kind of what it seemed like to me. It was weird. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I think it's time to dive into the meat and potatoes, launch ourselves down the road to Hellier. Because almost as long as there have been anomalous sightings, there have been there have existed stories of shadowy men in dark suits who visit these witnesses. Some intimidate, some retrieve items taken in secret, some seem to play mind games with witnesses. While the description of the men in black has evolved in time to include Army or Air Force personnel who don't actually exist and showroom-fresh vintage cars. The terror felt by these witnesses and the sheer number of encounters with the MIB point to the fact that someone, someones, or something want to suppress the discussion of UFO topics. This month, we run down dark alleys and up dead-end roads because... That's right. We are talking about the men in black. Yes. Very excited Uh, for that. Um, This is such a big and broad topic that I, I feel like we are not going to possibly cover every case out there. So listeners, if you've got, Oh my God, they're talking about the men in black. If they, if we don't talk about a case that you are a big fan of, or if you, Uh, really think is an excellent example. We apologize. You know, we've only got a month to prepare an episode and um, eh, February was busy, Um, but we are going to talk a lot. Uh, Seb, I know you did a little bit of research. Um, You were looking at one of Gray Barker's old books back from the mid 1950s. Uh,
0: Tell us a little bit about it. Oh yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say I'm so excited that we're doing this topic. Um, I think personally, The first time I ever was aware of the phenomenon of the Men in Black was from the legendary 1987 UFO phenomenon book, part of the Mysteries of the Unknown Time Life series. Oh yes. Um, Doing some research for tonight's episode, it, it appears that probably one of the first, if not the first published account of what we now call Men in Black was Gray Barker's 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, which is just an amazing title for a publication in my opinion. Um, just to you know, summarize, there was a guy named Albert Bender who apparently founded uh, an early UFO club, the International Flying Saucer Bureau back in 1952. Um, apparently it was really successful, but then he shut it down like right away, like the very next year mm-hmm. and claimed to have been approached by three men in black, visited his house, um, relayed his story to his, his friend gray who, you know, published it in, in 56 and, um, There were some interesting segments in in that publication. There's a quote we have here. uh, Quote, I have the answer to what the saucers are. It was something I was thinking about for a long time. I went into the fantastic and came up with the answer. I wrote about it and was going to have it printed. I sent it to a friend of mine, and right after that, the three men paid me a visit. They had my story with them. They were pretty rough with me. Two men did all the talking, and the other kept watching me all the time. They were here. He didn't take his eyes off me. They wore the same type of clothes and hats, dark clothes and black hats. They took the serial numbers of my tape recorders. Just as the three men who paid me a visit were leaving, one of them lingered for a moment and said, in our government, we have the smartest men in the country. They can't find a defense for it. How can you do anything about it? One of them said, I suppose you know you're on honor as an American. If I hear another word out of your office, you're in trouble. I would go to a jail. I would go to jail for quite a long time, mm. um, and that's sort of kind of the I don't want to say the uh, you know the Big Bang of the Men in Black phenomenon, but it really kind of uh, throws out there some of the the main themes that we're going to see over and over again in a lot of the stories we're going to talk about tonight. You know, um, individuals and in dark clothes um, approaching people who have had unusual experiences, maybe even before those individuals have you know shared those experiences with others um, sometimes they threaten, sometimes they're ominous just not by their words or actions but by their their, their um, demeanor or appearance
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: do you guys by any chance remember when you were first aware of the phenomenon of Men in Black like that you first heard about it or read about it or anything oh, like I that? Knew.
2: it went a little yeah. something like this
1: no. that's right <laughs> <laughs> so you were introduced to the Galaxy Defenders
2: first. I, I was, you know, okay. the, the uh the less traditional MIB who
1: are yeah. uh, making making the jokes and saving the world and wanting you to think that they're the good guys. Yes, definitely. I I don't know for me, I'm I mean it it might have been around the same time as you said because we you know, we had a lot of the same books uh, and everything. Sure. It, it, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to deny that, uh, you know, kind of getting a taste of that watching the X-Files growing up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting.
0: Bender, um, of, it's interesting. Bender eventually, uh, in 62 wrote kind of like, like a an own account of his experiences with these mysterious men in black. And he actually goes on to claim that they were, um, extraterrestrials from another planet who have, uh, abducted him, took him to the South Pole, and took him to a planet called Kazik. So um, pretty early on, there was, there was a big uh, idea that at least maybe some of the men in black weren't even really men, at least human men, you know, maybe, right. uh, extraterrestrials, some sort of other um, non-human intelligence, something like that. Um,
1: yeah, it's tough to say because I've, I've heard, I mean, I've read a number of different accounts of, you know, what or who they could be uh you know everything from you know extraterrestrials or even ultra terrestrials taking on the guise of people um to you know air force or army officials or even extraterrestrial slash ultra terrestrials taking on the visage of you know uniformed officials um i th- i think of an example from um a Jim Keith book called Casebook on the Men in Black. And this was something that um, Olav gave me just on a whim one day when he was over. He's like, oh, you got to check out this book, you know? And it actually, it it, it was weird because the book, it, it actually starts kind of looking at like the medieval era. And figures in black and how like that color was associated with evil, you know, like the black arts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what, what am I reading here? Like, I'm, I'm expecting like, you know, 1940s, 1950s, 19, you know, here we're in the 1500s. Uh But then he kind of starts going into uh, uh, the Maury Island incident up in Washington. And that was uh, June of 1947. So this is pre Roswell. Uh, and I, and I've, I've got a quote here, um, uh, just after the event, like the next morning after that event had taken place where actually it, um, these guys were out on a boat and they, um, they saw at least one UFO. I can't remember if it was multiple or not. And there was some stuff that like fell from them. And I think if, if not killed their dog, at least greatly injured it. Um, which again, great. Right pay attention to like these stories of dogs getting hurt because I feel like that is kind of like one of these threads that leads down the road to hellier. Um, So, so the, the, the quote goes that morning, according to Harold doll, um, a man in a black suit contacted him at his home and then joined him for breakfast at a local restaurant, which you know, is probably a nice gesture. Uh, he surprised Dahl by offering an exact account of the UFO incident, so precise, in fact, that it sounded to Dahl as if the man had been there. Then the stranger threatened Doll and his family. If he discussed his experience with others. Um, and then it, it goes on to talk about how, uh, Fred Christman, who was dolls, uh, superior reached out to publisher Ray Palmer, uh, who had made the shaver mystery famous in the amazing stories magazines in the early 1940s. Um, <clears throat> Jim Keith actually goes on to argue that the Darrow's of the Shaver mystery kind of set the stage for the emergence of Men in Black in modern times. And of course, the Shaver mystery, Darrow's and Taros caves, you know, underground stuff. Obviously, all of that kind of relates into uh, uh, the Hellyer saga. Um, But in terms of Maury Island, it's interesting and worth noting that a military flight containing the alleged debris from this incident crashed on route to its home base. Could it have been sabotaged? Maybe. Dun, dun, dun. Maybe could it have been the MIBs?
0: Hmm.
2: Interesting. I don't know. Hold on, let me see. Yep. Yeah, the Here they come.
1: That's Sorry. what it is. It's <laughs> <laughs> Is it the MIBs? It's the MIBs. Okay, well. Thank you. thank you, thank you, all. Mystery well, solved. Yeah. I feel
2: like another thing that I'm I'm thinking of when I uh, I think about uh, the Men in Black is that, you know they're always showing up after the fact. Yes, and I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong. I remember hearing about like an incident where it almost seemed like they were learning English on the fly. Yeah, I don't know. if that's Yeah, the research, but it, it kind of seemed like they didn't get their uh, their translator wasn't working as quickly as it as it should.
1: Yeah, that that's true. A lot of that actually comes out, uh, at least from what I've researched from uh, John Keel's writings. I mean, from from. You know, minute one on this podcast, I will always recommend that everyone read uh, The Mothman Prophecies uh, by John Keel. Uh, Just going back through parts of it uh, in research for tonight, I'm like, ooh, I need to dog ear a bunch of these pages um, because this is going to be good research for next month. Um, So, yeah, just if you don't have that book, folks, go grab that one now. Um, But there are a few things, especially in tales coming out of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, um, kind of during the whole Mothman flap of 66, 67, um, where MIBs or, you know, uh, something approaching them were, were coming into the newspaper office there where where Mary Heyer worked. And she uh, she worked closely with John Keel while he was down there. Um, and they would exhibit very odd behavior. Um, and, and sometimes it would be, you know not kind of really understanding um uh the nuance of language all that well sometimes it was um kind of like not really getting how a pen works or yes. how to use a fork to eat um, or
2: walking right wasn't walking or, like another thing they're like walking <laughs> yeah there's, there's
1: a number of things it, even the fact that sometimes like um you know they're described now folks we don't, we don't use this term anymore, but you will see it a lot in the research is, you know, they looked Oriental. Yeah. Um, remember seeing that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just, you just have to remember that's, that. That's, that's not the preferred was, nomenclature. Correct. It's not the preferred nomenclature anymore. Yeah. Um, You know, you just have to realize that this was stuff that was written, you know, 50, 60 plus years ago. That was the terminology they used then. We know better now. So I I will always try to not use it unless I'm directly quoting. Um, But they do talk about these features um, that at times, at times, I would almost think kind of border on the description of like a gray, like a gray alien. (laughs) Kind of trying to take on or maybe even uh, uh, telepathically projecting more human features, but not being able to get away from like their core shape, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's almost like they they put on, um, you know, a. A human disguise, and they're yes. like, "Well, I didn't read the full manual. How hard can it be?" That's kind of how it
0: seems. Yes, <laughs> no, I, I
1: I agree because sometimes you get this description of like, "Yeah, you know, here's this guy, and he looked kind of weird, like like he didn't even have any eyebrows."
0: Yeah, you know, weird stuff. There like was that. there was um there was a there was a neat article in um the Journal of American Folklore in 1987. I only just recently got my hands on it. Um, and it has, it has a, an amazing kind of summary of a lot of what you you guys are saying, they describe this article is titled the men in black experience and tradition. Okay. And it, it goes on to say that they are often quote, often dressed in black clothing that may appear either soiled and generally unkempt or realistically neat and wrinkle free. It says mm. MIBs have on occasion displayed a very unusual walking motion moving as moving about as if their hips were swivel joints, producing a gliding or rocking effect, often with the torso and legs seemingly moving off in opposite directions. Some witnesses have indicated that MIBs walk as if intoxicated. Yes. MIBs have displayed a penchant for black Cadillacs or dark, large sedans. Some, this is weird. Some MIBs display an unusual growth of hair, suggesting that their hair had grown back unevenly after having recently shaved. Witnesses have identified the great seal of the United Nations on the lapels of some MIB. MIB speak very distinctly. Either this distinctness re- results from their resonance eloquence or from a monotone sing song or whiny sound. Hmm. Um, and then it also says um encounters with mibs often leave witnesses confused and disorientated vertigo nausea or even amnesia lasting for days are common symptoms hmm. yeah that's see that that makes me think
1: I mean one God forbid the mib ever discover autotune um, but m- <laughs> Man, more <black>. that's right <laughs> um but um there's that um that apathy effect when when some people witness a ufo and and you know you would think the first thing you do is i need to grab my phone i need to grab my camera i need to call somebody out here to see this and and but you kind of just have this feeling of like oh oh yeah look it's a ufo huh okay i'll go about my day and it seems like yeah the men and black can kind of affect that same feeling on people
0: yeah I've, i've read accounts like that where people describe it almost like a like a a wizard of Oz effect, or sometimes they might see a UFO and a busy street is suddenly just very empty, or something like that. I, yeah. I think if I think if I'm not mistaken, I've read that um, the UFO investigator Bud Hopkins, who has done a lot of like um, hypnosis of uh, abductees, um, mm-hmm. I think he even has reported an MIB encounter where the the agent or whatever you might say, you know, approached him and suggested that he, you know, destroy some of the audio tapes he's recorded of abductees and dr hopkins complied but even like later on he didn't know why he complied he was just like compelled to not out of fear but just like almost in a trance or something okay and his encounter was really weird too because i've seen so many reports where the mibs have these like maybe dark facial features but like the one he encountered supposedly was like I don't know, like done up in Kabuki face paint or like had suffered from albinism or something like that. So Interesting. there seems to be like, you know what, and there's, and there's no women in black, you know, this has gotta be the most, I mean, is there a glass ceiling or what? I mean, come on, can, <laughs> we, can we get a little bit of diversity here? <laughs>
2: They'd have That's to change right. the entire name and be people in black.
1: That's true. I mean, we've been sitting here talking, we'd be black, talking about, about the WIB. It's not
2: catchy, you know.
1: That's <laughs> oh, great. I, th- I, think it's, I think it's safe to say, though, that generally speaking, we would fully support um, breaking that glass ceiling. And the advancement <laughs> of women in this field. Amen. Generally speaking. Yeah. Um, you know. Because calling them, you know, the people in black. The intimidation field, yeah. Um that's why when you get like um oh I can't remember, I think it's Keel, uh actually uh at times refers to them as the UFO silencers. Um mm. which at least that can be a gender neutral mm. term. Yes. Um I want to go back to uh Gray Barker here real quick. Um because I've got a little bit more information about um well more I guess I guess about Albert Bender. Um because he I think it was late 53 kind of was like that. Yep, okay, I'm I'm shutting down um my International Flying Saucer Bureau and you know not publishing uh Space Review anymore. Um, because I was contacted by shadowy men from a shadowy planet. And I don't mean the ones who did the kids in the hall theme. Um, <laughs> and if you get that reference, thank you. Um, the, uh, Jim Keith's book casebook for the men in black. And I, I think in the show notes, I'm going to put links to a bunch of these books, uh, and stuff that we're referencing. So if, you, if you've if you not read them and you're interested enough to read them, you can find them pretty easily. Um, he talks about, in 1954, a guy named Edgar Gerald. Um, he's basically the Australian equivalent of Albert Bender. He was visited by a shadowy man who told him the amazing truth behind UFOs. Um, Gerald was also trailed by a dark car, received weird phone calls, experienced poltergeist phenomena, Oh. and was knocked down a flight of stairs by an unknown Whoa. assailant. And soon after that, he completely bailed on the UFO oh. scene. Weird. Well, I mean, yeah. that'll do oh. it, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the the Bender, like, yeah, he stopped this stuff in 53, but in 1962, he, was, he published the book Flying Saucers and the Three Men, in which he talks about the worldwide membership of the IFSB trying to telepathically contact ufos right so yeah. so let's get let's get weird with this idea for a second this is effectively in my mind trying to do what like the estes method and the god helmet try to do in hell it's a meant it's meditation it's mental projection it's intention with the goal of contact it's it's all that kind of like ce5 stuff that, totally steven greer per, you know professes to be such yeah. an expert in um also in Casebook and the Men in Black, our mm. good friend Alan Greenfield, Yes, uh, who I've actually shared some Twitter DMs with recently, oh. um, uh, only because I have been told by a couple of people that... Uh, Terry Wrist drove a VW bus back in the day, and I just wanted to find out any details about it.
0: And Alan was like,
1: well, yeah, because, you know, he and a lot of other people lived in this very hippie-centric area. There were a lot of buses around. Yeah. I don't. I wasn't really paying attention to that, but I was kind of focused on some other stuff. I'm like, okay, fair point. I was just curious. Um, but, I love but, it. but, yeah, right? Um, so, in uh, in Keith's book, he's quoting Greenfield as saying, even Barker noted, uh, Gray Barker noted that Albert Bender's experiments were more like a magical conjuration than an attempt at extraterrestrial communication. Any initiated magician reading Bender's accounts would recognize the elements of magical conjuration immediately. And boy, do I suddenly wish I had a clip from Hellier where Greg's going, you, you know what you're doing, right? You're doing a ritual for Greenfield.
2: Oh, I don't have anything on the board. <laughs> Spoiler
1: alert, that's okay. Carlos. I don't, I don't. And I it's one of those things where I kind of went, Oh man, I should have grabbed that clip and sent it to John. I'll I was saying I had anything on the board. I don't I just think you've got Carl talking about brains melting. My brain just kind of mel- Yeah. <laughs> I know Carl. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, so that's okay. I'll grab I'll grab it for, for for another episode we've got months worth of uh uh examples to use here so again i'm i am i am already seeing all these things where it's like the the these pathways and these connection to where we're ultimately going with our bigger discussion here are are there uh-huh. they're, they're 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 not necessarily new they're they're being repeated um, and I'll be really curious as we dig into the topics over the next few months, just how much stuff like this pops up again. Yeah. Um. Now, Seb, I think you you also had some some John Keel in your
0: research too, correct? Yeah. Um. From what I was able to find out, Keel um actually coined the term "Men in Black." with regards to this phenomenon in an article he wrote for Saga magazine back in 1967, an article called UFO agents of terror. Um, And in the, you know, in in all of our episodes for, for this podcast, I always try to go back to, you know, what are the earliest published accounts of some phenomenon that I can find at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And in addition to um, the Gray's book, you know, this, this keel article, I think is really, really significant. I don't know if it's the first, published writing of John Keel regarding this phenomenon. But um, it's interesting because even at this early date, he's talking about how he feels that some or all of these uh, men in black are are non-human intelligences. I've got an interesting quote here. Before I get into it, though, I just want to say that, um, you know, I mean, we've mentioned Keel on the show before, but we, I mean, he almost could have a whole episode about him, you know, because there's just so much that he's written in so many great ideas that that he's put out there. Um, One of my favorite things that he wrote about was one of these experiences he had where, because I mean, if we're talking about men in black, we're talking about conspiracies. We're talking about paranoia. um, But we're one of the things that he, one of the experiences he wrote about, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that for me is just like the scariest thing I've ever heard. And I've never seen it depicted in a movie, but it would have been a great scene was one time when he was driving and he was just randomly driving out somewhere and stopped at a motel that he had no foreknowledge of, no intention of stopping there. You know, he just needed a place to stay for the night. And he went into the motel to like the desk clerk, and they already had a room reserved for him under his name at yeah. that motel. You know, and that kind of that kind of just is like the perfect John Keel. Like that. That's like if, if that's all you know about John Keel, that's all you need to know because that's so good. But anyway, so he had this article uh, in sixty seven. He has this quote here. It says. Men in black managed to appear on the scene almost immediately after a sighting. Reviewing reviewing several men in black cases, we find that the mystery men seem to have concentrated on debunking the stories of witnesses who claimed either very close UFO sightings or actual contact with the occupants themselves. Hmm. They seem more dedicated to getting the witnesses to change their stories than to merely investigating. In 1960, a mysterious man with a heavy build, dark olive complexion, and foreign accent made a tour of the United States, systematically visiting civilian UFO investigators. He called himself Mr. Alexander, and in St. Louis, Missouri, he visited a researcher named George Marlowe, who later wrote, quote, I am finished with radio and TV appearances about UFOs. I will talk on other subjects this one is too dangerous for me since talking to alexander i know better now unquote for years civilian ufo investigators have suspected that this silence group is really a branch of the central intelligence agency cia and fbi men may be responsible for some of our mystery men cases but not all another mystery man this one wearing a black coat too thin for the bitter cold weather appeared in january 1967 in Cape May, New Jersey, after Air Force investigators had openly investigated low-level UFO sightings around a Coast Guard installation there. This character spoke in a monotone, as if he were rec- as, as if he were reciting each word from memory. There is one frightening and incredible answer to all of this. Who might have the best possible motive for suppressing UFO stories and seizing photographs and physical evidence? The unlikely solution stares at us. The UFO occupants themselves. From the sum, uh, from some uh, from 2,500 cases in which reliable people have claims to have glimpsed the UFO pilots, it would appear that they are actually of medium height, with angular faces, pointed chins, high cheekbones, and long Oriental-like eyes. Their complexion is usually described as very dark, like a heavy suntan. Many witnesses compare them to Indians or Gypsies, also not the preferred nomenclature these days. <laughs> Absolutely not. Their yeah. manner of speech is said to be slow, halting, a, a curious monotone of clipped phrases, as if they had taped thousands of conversations and memorized them. Generally, they said are said to be dressed in either co- coverall-type uniforms or in black jackets and black visored caps. Unquote. Ooh, hmm. yeah,
2: I that's do great. like. I do love that. Like, <laughs> you know, you're just going for a, a, a drive in your spaceship, and you crash, and you're like, "Oh crap!" And then you have to go find a suit, <laughs> convince people to stop researching it.
1: Yeah, it's this is this is. That's. <laughs> I mean, I
2: I'm I'm fine with you know believing that it's the occupants of the UFO, but I just think mm-hmm. how they, it's like, oh man, and they just have to go to like a tailor or something. I don't know. It just uh, it's pretty funny to me.
1: No, I, I totally get that. <laughs> and I totally agree because, because I mean, it's, it's weird because I look at aspects of the UFO phenomenon. Like when, when witnesses see a UFO, especially at nighttime, right? It's, it's a bright light. It's a glowing orb. There's lights dancing around it like it's, it's something at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. You know, they don't, they don't need mm. these lights, you know, if they're traveling off amongst the stars or between dimensions or something, right? It's, it's almost like these, this light show is being put on for our benefit, for us to notice them. Yeah. So then at the same time, mm-hmm. it's like, so when, when we do notice them and we do get a picture or have an experience or, you know, God forbid they, they, they crash into a parked car and I walk off with a piece of debris, you know, now it's like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I was kind of out there showboating, but I, you know, I, I need that stuff back and stop researching me it's there's this dichotomy it's like i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know which it is and and maybe it is just both you know um maybe there's a threshold that is crossed there i don't know um mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. i find mm-hmm. even more i interesting, see where you are done with this yeah yeah but the, so, the whole manner of speech thing where it's kind of like clipped phrases as if they taped thousands of conversations it's almost i I, that reminds me of like everybody who's been like oh yeah i i made an ai watch you know ten thousand hours of batman movies and now it's right it's 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 almost Uh, like it's uh, almost uh, like you know you want to talk simulation theory you want to talk about this idea of like no maybe reality is all like a you know a, a organic computer construct You know, here's this AI that has been forced to watch, you know, uh, uh, thousands of years of human history. And now it's introducing its own character into the narrative. And it's trying to it's trying to sound human. It's trying to act human. You know what I mean? I know. Uh I know. It's, It's a little mind bendy. Uh, this time around with some of these concepts, because I I don't think by any means we're going to make sense of, Oh, we're never going to put our finger down and go, oh, the men in black is this, you know, it's, Uh you know, definitely, you know, A, B, or or C. But um, would you guys believe it if I told you that Malcolm X had an MIB encounter? Ooh. Yeah. What? Yeah. So again, this, this, this goes back to Jim Keith's book Um, and the story that he tells, and I suppose I have to phrase it that way. The story that he tells is that in the latter part of 1949, Malcolm X was on his bunk at the Norfolk prison colony. I'm assuming it's Norfolk, Virginia. um, When he suddenly noticed a man bathed in light at the other end of his cell. So this MIB merely returned his stare for a while and then disappeared. But Malcolm X was convinced he'd had a visitation from Master Wallace Fard Muhammad, the founder of the Nation of Islam, and the man who'd imparted his mystical secrets to Elijah Muhammad, both of whom are said to be high-level Freemasons. That's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah, that is. Oh my. Yeah. Goodness. So, Whoa. so Keith has got this line of logic. He's like, "Well, you know, could this have been some sort of like MK Ultra?" you know, esque uh, experience to mess with Malcolm X or to send him down a certain path. Um, apparently in 1990, Louis Farrakhan, right. I think we all recognize his name, um, said he'd had a vision in 1985 where he was carried up into a giant wheel in the sky and heard the voice of Elijah Muhammad speak to him about Reagan's plan to go to war. I know it's getting weird here. So he'd had this vision on September seventeenth, and claims that on October sixth or seventh, a Tucson area radio station reported four squadrons of fifteen wheels each flying from the southwest to northeast. Now I point that out because in two other episodes we've talked about UFOs who are tracked headed in a northeasterly direction. I think there's something to this.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so here's here's another huh. example of this but of course four squadrons of 15 wheels that is 60 craft in the sky. Yeah. that's insane that is that's a lot. Holy cats yeah um, so he kind of wraps up this idea of the, the, that there's long been the belief that you know MIB belonged to some branch of the US government whether that's true or not it's worth noting that much of this classic look of the MIB, these, these Asiatic features, missing eyebrows, unusual behavior, according to him, seem to reek of some sort of PSYOP ploy, right? Where, and maybe, Mm. you know, maybe the MIB is a genuine phenomena, but it's enough of one that aspects of our government and perhaps, perhaps other governments, I can only speak for our own, I guess, um, have been like, well, let's copy that and let's, you know, use some of these uh, cases to try and affect people that we see as bad actors. I think that's the point he's trying to make there. Um, So yeah, not, not a hundred percent sure what to make of that one, but it it was like Malcolm X was like one of those last names that I expected to see pop up in a book about having an experience like this. Yeah. Another thing that kind of came across the wires in in doing research for this was, um, you know, and I I have to apologize because I forget who I originally saw retweet this. But there is, um, I believe it's a researcher in Sweden who has actually done this massive project um, to uh, scan and catalog as many um, like really old... UFO oh, yeah. magazines and newsletters and zines from back in the day um, and make them available as PDFs. Um, and I got excited by this link because it talked about a lot of Keel's work and a lot of Keel's old articles. So I go and I'm like, Ooh, well I'm, I'm going to grab a bunch of these and Ooh, here's some stuff. Oh, here's one called UFO silencers. This is perfect. This is going to be great research. Um, and then there was another link in the blog post and it was, I told Seb it's the mother load oh it is it is there is so much stuff at this link and i'll I'll make a point of um putting it in the show notes um that if i were to probably sit down and try to download all of this stuff i i'm could possibly be at it for days there's just so much there um that it, it just it's a looks like a fantastic resource um you know it's 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 there for people to go and read and download and use which is excellent um because i think a lot of these older stories are are you know need rediscovering i i, I think having that breadth of research is always going to be excellent um but in them obviously you know Seb, so you've got um, the UFO Agents of Terror as well. That was one of the ones that was in there from October 7. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, it, and again, it's, it's stories of men in black showing up, trying to discredit what people say they saw. Like there was a, yeah. uh, a story from Key West, Florida in 1951, where a bunch of naval officers witnessed a cigar-shaped craft Effectively zap the ocean and kill lots of fish before being chased off by a jet. Huh. All these, all Whoa. these naval officers were then held and questioned in a manner that seemed like they were trying to discredit what they saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1955, uh, 20 workers up in New Jersey, they witness a, a big old saucer hover over like a 600 car parking lot. Right as they go to punch out from their shift, a man in civilian clothing herded them into a room and had them sign an oath of secrecy or never come to work again.
2: Well, I mean, clearly someone, broke Whoa. the, oath didn't sign the paper.
1: right? Right. And, and that's always the thing. It's like, okay, so then how do we know this story? Right. And, and because there's, there's always that talk of like, oh yes, this source. And I always have to have just that little grain of salt that goes, okay, was it an actual source or, do you need to fill up the page and you're coming up with a story? Maybe, you know, it's tough to say if if there's some other account that corroborates it, that would be awesome. You know, it's just part of the research. You kind of have to go into some of this stuff and be like, well, we can take this at face value or we can go and, you know, critique every last one of them. So (sighs) one of the more interesting ones that he brings up is the 1964 Templeton photo. Are you guys familiar with this one? No, no. What's this one? Okay, so... Oh,
2: yes, yes.
1: You've heard about this one? Yeah, this is a classic one. Um, so in 1964, I believe this was in the UK, um, uh, a guy named Templeton, he and his young daughter are out um, uh, in, a, in a local field or a local meadow, and he's taking pictures uh, of his daughter um because you know little kids are cute um and so he goes gets the film developed and in in one of the pictures in the background appears to be some sort of figure in what looks like a spacesuit and he's like that wasn't there when i took that picture um but it does appear as though mr templeton was questioned by two men in bowler hats we've got our british men in black and they refer to each other by numbers instead of name
2: wait but not by letters of the alphabet
1: correct wow yeah the mib huh here come the mib um (laughs) yeah that's right so they had numbers and bowler hats instead of letters and ray-bans well yeah um it's yeah, it's interesting, some of these little stories that pop up, um you know, I mean, obviously he touches on like Woodrow darenberger uh events in Point Pleasant that's something we're saving uh for the next couple of months uh so so strap in for that one um but this was the article that I first read where he suggested, like you said earlier, Seb that, that the MIB are actually occupants of the UFOs themselves visiting the earth and that kind of twisted my brain a little bit where I was like, wait, (laughs) what? And then it's kind of like, well, that kind of makes some sense.
2: I mean, it could also be.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, one of the things that really drove me crazy for tonight's episode was just that there's so many plausible scenarios. I mean, if, if they're humans, you know, are they representatives of our government intelligence agencies, I saw one account that suggested that members of civilian UFO organizations were falsely claiming to be um, government agents and interviewing mm-hmm. UFO witnesses. Um, I've always, even as a little kid, I always thought that maybe, perhaps, the you know the the um, facial features and the weird accents might be attributed to the fact that maybe these were like soviet spies in the united states in the 50s and 60s who were checking out ufo sightings thinking that maybe there was some sort of classified mil- u.s military thing going on that they wanted right. to learn more right. about mm-hmm. um of course there's and then if you get into the non-human i mean there's basically two you know are they human or non-human if they're non human are they extraterrestrial are they ultra-terrestrial are they some sort of um, I think the word is tulpa. I think that's something that we mentioned, or like maybe in our, even our first episode, is yeah. it some sort of entity that's been created by the UFO investigators themselves? Because in their minds, there is potentially a government conspiracy to cover up the truth. And, you know, they, mm-hmm. they almost self-create these things. I don't know. It's it's so difficult. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes a- they're a- described a- is as now, having though. very dark skin, very light skin. Is that the preferred terminology, nomenclature? Yeah, well, to,
1: to, tulpa actually refers to a very specific <laughs> type of, I believe, um, uh, uh, like Buddhist oh. version. So, so if you want to talk about it in a in a broader term, egregore is kind of the more. It's the same kind of thing. It's it mm. is a it is a thought form. It is a creation. It's something that is you know believed so thoroughly mm. that it comes to reality. And just as you were talking about um and 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 you're right i mean Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe it has come to a point where it is you know it is so believed in that it has kind of become its own thing
2: right i could see that i mean i could also be do you think
0: we've do you think the golden age oh go ahead
2: i could also see it being you know it doesn't have to be one thing it could literally be um like seb was saying it could be you know even ufo researchers trying to discredit other people who have seen stuff and then on top of that it could it could be all of these things it could just be people copying other people and that's why there's so many different um shapes and sizes and tones yeah. and so it could just be like at first maybe there was like an original quote unquote man in black but then we went to, you know, then people just started copying it. And then everyone just said, oh, I've heard of those guys. It's the men in black.
1: Yeah.
2: Should have never given me these sounds.
1: I was going to say, John, you are a dangerous man with a soundboard. Um, you know, th- the question is, do we, do we still have sexy saxophone Jonathan Frakes on there? Don't uh, know. I would have to uh, double check. That's too bad. That was a classic. <laughs> um, no, I think I think you make a good point, and, and and I think we need to recognize that for for many uh, uh, UFO researchers and stuff, um, you know, ego does come into this. Um, so maybe kind of like whether intentionally trying to uh, be like, you know, let's get this, let's get this other guy discredited here, or if they're just pranking him, you know, um, I, I think that's certainly a real possibility. But I think you're right. I think I think. All of these things can be true at the same time. I've I've heard Alan Greenfield tell the story multiple times that you know half the time that that John Keel talks about getting like weird phone calls, you know, um, like in the middle of the night from strange you know strange voices or strange sounds. It was him and Gray Barker pranking him. Uh, yeah. mm, interesting. Which which is hilarious. You know, you read some of the stuff in in Mothman prophecies, and you, you hear this stuff, and then you hear Greenfield go, "Oh yeah, now half the time we were just messing with the guy," you know. And it's like, oh man, mm. he's so convinced that mm. all this stuff is happening, and and on some level it is, just maybe to not to the extent that he thought it was, yeah, going on. But uh, speaking of Keel, I mean. You know, he in the UFO Silencers article. This was uh, an issue of Saga from 1975. Um, he he opens with the tale of a, a 1924, and I'm going to put it in quotes: plane crash in the town of Jem, West Virginia, Braxton County. Right, which is is famous with cryptids in its own right, where a local newsman went to investigate this crash, and there were already five or six men in black business suits on site. Um, And there were some also in coveralls of a funny color uh, talking in a rapid-fire foreign language. Mm. Uh, So this guy named John Cole, he picked up a piece of metal from the site, and then that night at 3 a.m., which there's all sorts of connotations with 3 a.m., the witching hour, Gets a visit from someone in an army uniform saying, "Hey, I want that piece of metal back."
0: Whoa! There you go.
1: That again is another weird one. Um, You know, people report like when they see, you know, when they're able to actually like copy down a license plate off the car off the car that a man in black is driving, and they'll try to like get the police to run the plate or something. They oftentimes come back as like not existing at all.
2: Weird. Well, I mean, that makes. I think
1: it's a James Bond thing with the rotating license plate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but one, one of the interesting things that, that this article uh, puts forth um, is, is that he says in my own investigations into hundreds of MIB cases and Watergate style break-ins, I uneasily recognized a common factor in all of them. Our men in black are mainly interested in retrieving evidence that might point to terrestrial origin of the ufos
0: Mm.
1: not extraterrestrial Mm. not even ultra terrestrial which is something that keel champion uh quite a bit but a terrestrial origin and then of course he doesn't really old
2: terrestrial Mm.
1: yeah i he doesn't really kind of elaborate on that a whole lot um so i'm i'm not sure if he is kind of going into like kind of like hollow earth territory uh you know Um, or, or it's, it's, you know, something that he's talked about the, the super spectrum they're here all the time. They're literally just kind of basically vibrating at a frequency we don't see.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and, you know, I'll Mm. I'll throw that completely into the realm of possibility as well. Um, but there, he also has a bunch of accounts of people who have like, uh, you know, uh, recorded interviews and stuff, you know, like, Oh, Hey, we're going to run this news piece. In a couple of days, let's have you do the article now so we can edit it and have it ready. And, you know, these recordings, they're either stolen, they're accidentally erased, you know, stuff happens to them uh, preventing this discussion of UFO topics from continuing. Um, So is that the MIB at work as well? Keel seems to think so.
2: I mean, it's a possibility. Yeah. Um,
1: And now the last kind of example I want to talk about... um, I pull from uh, the Mothman prophecies itself, which again, I will always highly recommend. It's such an amazing book. Um, Very worth the read. Now, strangely, he actually opens the first chapter of the whole book with what sounds like an MIB encounter, but he's actually just describing himself coming to West Virginia and, and needing to use someone's phone. And I'm Um. like that. I find that, kind of weird as someone who has you know reported on this kind of stuff for so long to kind of like initially cast that kind of light on himself but i was also a literature major growing up and i might be reading too too much into that (laughs) um but in uh chapter 12 the book is called the games non-people play and and he has a quote in there he says um sorry a couple of quotes one is a fantastic new world was taking shape populated by spacemen who drove Cadillacs and Volkswagens, psychiatrists who heard bodiless voices in the night and things that ate dogs and cattle while everyone was looking in the wrong direction. Um, and you might think that I might be excited to learn that men in black also were seen driving Volkswagen. Um, <laughs> but again, eight cat or eight dogs, right? We, yeah. we get that, that, you know, maybe, maybe issue with the, uh, uh, dogs, the star Sirius, um, but we also get reference to cattle. And so here we've got maybe very early, early references to cattle mutilation. Um, or it could just be people eating burgers. Cause that's technically eating cattle. Um, True. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but again, another quote, same chapter, watch this tie to Hopkinsville in the Hills surrounding point pleasant. We heard many stories about footsteps on the roof and strange metallic clanging. And then he says in parentheses, the most common being the sound of a car door slamming outside the house when there were no cars in sight.
2: Oh, and that kind of, that feels like um, leading into hellier, yep. the, uh, the,
1: babies in yep. The, yep. the the woods, baby's crying. Yep, yep, the baby's crying, which also comes up in Mothman Prophecies, just not in this chapter. The sound of the car door slamming, or the quote-unquote modern equivalent of hearing Uh, you know, the car alarm set, which also locks the door on modern cars.
2: Yes, or just hearing and And being
1: like, is Will Smith
2: outside? I have to go check.
1: Exactly. (laughs) If you are ever somewhere, especially (laughs) if you are out in a remote area and you suddenly hear Will Smith's voice do this, Uh, you might be in trouble.
2: Possibly, yeah. Because he's not there, <laughs> folks. I'm
1: sorry. To, I to probably you. not. <laughs> probably not. Your brain might melt. <laughs>
2: um.
1: So yeah, uh, you know, I, I have to admit, after all this talk about the men in black and and you know recordings failing or, or going missing, I'm suddenly a little nervous about making sure that that this episode goes out safely. Well, fingers uh, crossed. Yeah. Right. I don't want any nighttime visitations, uh, from, well, pretty much anything yeah, at the moment. Man. Um, I'm not against it, Just, you know, step friendly rather than intimidatingly. <laughs> yes. Um, gentlemen, uh, any, any, any final thoughts on our galaxy? De- well, probably not galaxy defenders. Well-
0: yeah. You know, I, there's a couple of things that, that for me, um, really kind of jumped out. Um, for one thing, I, I kept struggling with tonight's episode in the sense that I kept wondering what were the defining characteristics of an MIB. Like, for mm-hmm. instance, if, if, if I witnessed a UFO, took an interesting photo, and somebody showed up at my apartment and either threatened me or tried to take the photo away from me, but they were wearing, like, uh, an Air Force uniform, right? They weren't wearing a dark suit. Would they still be an MIB or not? Like, that's something I struggled with a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, also, some of the the writings I read preparing for tonight's episode especially keel's article from 67 i thought it was great i thought it was a very influential article but sometimes these days i look at things through like the lens of like the black lives matter movement and there were some things in here in there that i i i just really kind of like i i ended up scratching my head there was this one mib account he related about these individuals who visited i think like a woman on a remote farm and um they they didn't try to threaten her or take away any UFO photos. In fact, they didn't even talk about UFOs. It ended up like the only thing they were talking about was how the the fact that they were um, Native American and the woman's farm was on the land that their like people used to own and they wanted the land back like that. Yeah. And that like and that was the that like, that was the extent of the MIB connection there. And I just thought that was really like. I was like, wait a second, you know, these were (laughs) this could have just simply been some, you know, uh, American Indians who were interested in reclaiming their ancestral land. And there was like no paranormal connection whatsoever. And I was just like, really? Okay. All right. Um, But I mean, I think it's, um, and, 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 you know, I I keep, and some, I would always see references to them having weird hair. And then once some, some incidents, they were completely bald. So it was just, it was very like, I just, um, I wish there was some way to, like, like how would I know if I had an MIB experience, you know, unless it was, like, they had the black Cadillac, they had the trench coats, you know, they, they had the weird talking. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like it was so, you know, even, like, the criteria was just as elusive as, as the MIBs were, I guess.
1: No, I think that's a good point. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I think in the broadest sense, you know, if if you have an encounter with someone who maybe wasn't right there with you when you had your sighting and they are, you know, in some sort of official capacity, whether they're just dressed in a suit or like they appear to be from a governmental agency and they're intimidating you, you know, or trying to discredit what you saw. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, in the broadest sense, you classify that as an experience with the men in black. Right. Uh, John, thoughts? Well,
2: um, I don't, uh, I, I don't know. I think it's just, um, it, it could be, like I said earlier, it could be a, 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 any number of, of things. Um, and I think all of them have some sort of truth to them. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It is, it is a mystery and I hope I just don't look out my window here and see a big long black car with the doors closing and, and two, um, people who, who look like they're trying to learn the dance from the men in black music video. That's right. Coming towards That's right. my house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, boy, John, I, I gotta tell you, I, I, I really hope for the next few months we can get you on because I think, I think we will have some good sound clips from stuff, and it's yeah. so much better to hear them live than for me to put them in after the fact.
2: Well, we'll see. We'll see what it can do here. Because uh,
1: the, the road
2: to Hellier is a, is a bumpy one,
1: uh and to say the least. <laughs> to say the least, um and hopefully, what won't be bumpy is Seb's descent into the archives. Uh, we appreciate a good, solid staircase uh, going down, unless for some reason he's using an elevator. Down to an underground base full of archives, um, but every month Seb is going to dig into the old-timey newspaper archives to unearth a story of high strangeness. Seb,
0: you got an old one for us this month. What do you got? Yes, yeah. So we have an article uh, this month. It comes from a British newspaper. It's probably the newspaper with the longest title that we've featured on the podcast thus far. Totally. The title of the newspaper is the Barmouth and I'm probably mispronouncing that, the Barmouth and County Advertiser and District Weekly News from April 6, 1905. Now, I just want to preface this with a a little introduction. First of all, this article has been cited in other writings about men in black as a potential early instance of a men in black encounter. So I, I don't want to claim that I'm making sort of any groundbreaking discovery here. Although I do have to say that every published account I've read about this article gave the wrong publication date. Um, In fact, when I signed up for my free trial account for the British library's website, I only had five opportunities to download newspaper articles. So I was really crossing my fingers that I would actually get this correct article before my like free trial expired. And I was happy to say I succeeded. Um, So basically in 1905, just as a, a preface, um, in rural Wales, there was a religious revival movement going on mm-hmm. being led by a charismatic woman by the name of Mary Jones. And this religious revival movement was characterized by unusual lights in the sky. So anyway, so let's get into the article. So uh, one of the so the uh, author of the article, a newspaper man, is describing some of his experiences. he He, he goes on to say that, What I saw myself was briefly this. We were a company of five, including Mrs. Jones. We all saw a brilliant star appearing suddenly to the south, emitting from its circumference diamond-like sparkles. It took a sudden leap of considerable distance towards the mountains, then back again to its first position, and again rushing towards us. It disappeared momentarily, only again to reappear much nearer us, and then vanish. Um, He goes on to describe other lights as... In one case, a, quote, blood red light, apparently a foot from the ground in the middle of the roadway at the head of the village street, but which did not illuminate surrounding objects. In the neighborhood dwells an exceptionally intelligent young woman of the peasant class Mm -hmm. whose bedroom has been visited three nights in succession at midnight by a man dressed in black whose appearance corresponds with that of the person seen by Mrs. Jones. This figure has delivered a message to the girl, which, however, she is forbidden to relate. And the article goes on to talk about other sightings of this individual, and some people claimed that they would see this individual and he would change into a large black dog. So it goes back to the dog thing that we talked about at the beginning of tonight's episode. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a kind of a weird, it's a weird situation. Um, it, you know, we have a man in black relaying a secret ter- scary message to a person who is seeing weird lights in the sky. So, you know, kind of interesting to think about a little bit. So it, yeah. Definitely. I um, think. I think it would probably be pronounced Barmouth.
1: Um, but Barmouth, Barmouth, I, I, I would imagine so. Um, because you know vowels and British and yeah. Anyway, um, the the talk of the black dog, though, I find really, really interesting because this weekend, as we record, um, the traveling museum of the paranormal and the occult is having Phenomenicon three uh which is a Friday Saturday Sunday uh afternoon and evening virtual uh paranormal conference and just this afternoon um they actually had a uh lady from Wales on talking about Welsh witchcraft um and so I was listening to oh. it as I was helping uh my son rearrange his room um just had the headphone in listening to it and um one of the tales related uh by her was uh one way that the welsh believed you could sell your soul to the devil uh would be to take uh to like pocket your communion wafer um and feed it to a black mm. dog
2: oh man i'm selling my soul tomorrow <laughs> to, to henson
1: <laughs> Um. So, so that
0: what are the again, what are the odds though that we would right? Yeah, what are the odds that I would be talking about this, but you just listened to us about that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I love it. I love it because because here we have you know Welsh culture and and that belief of the the black dog being kind of representative of the devil, and here's this revivalist movement, and so here is this this man in black talking to this lady. Right? She's forbidden from sharing his knowledge. So either that's it's something evil, he's telling her the truth of UFOs, and she just can't reveal it, um, and has been seen uh. to turn into a black dog. So you're basically implying in this article that this man in black is either the devil or an agent of the devil, and even that goes all the way back to uh. the beginning of Jim Keith's casebook for the men in black where he talks about Uh. medieval thoughts on figures in black and and how they represented an agency of evil
0: interesting so it's almost like potentially the men in black have always been around but maybe you know the only thing that's changed is you know we've gone from like a a pre-modern society to a modern society where you know we were at one point looking at you know, angels in the sky, and now we're seeing extraterrestrials in the sky, or something. I, something. I don't know.
1: You know what? And I will, I will quote Tyler Strand from Hellier: "One man's angel is another man's alien." Mm, yes. Mm, mm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I think you're onto something here. I, I, I think you're right. I think you know what huh. was seen as you know, like the major belief, right, religion in the past you know, you have that same kind of Uh, what pattern that you can place onto the belief uh, in ufology today, you know, you're, you're just taking the template uh and you're setting uh it on somewhere else. And here's where things fall. And it's that same kind of thing. You know, we, we just have these patterns that repeat throughout history. Um, and I think that's a a really, really keen observation you've got
2: there. Yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) wow. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting, the connections we make. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Man, that's a fun march. That's a fun march we've got. Um, uh, So that's, I think that's basically it for us and the, I was hoping for a Men in Black hit right there. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. I don't have the soundboard, so I can't just, you know, hit it when I'm expecting it. (laughs) I have to. Oh, I have man. to hint at it, and I go. I've been quiet too long. They probably think my internet dropped out. Oh well. Uh, we're just here to make make Seb tired and delirious and, and laugh a lot. That's, yes, that's really what we're I love it. for. That's what folks tune in for. <laughs> um, anyway, normally. We keep next month's topic a, uh, a, a secret until we get close to recording. But since we literally have our road to Hellier, hashtag road to Hellier, use it in your tweets about us, uh, mapped out, I'll, I'll tell you right now, April, uh, we are looking at Indrid Cold and Woody Derenberger. Uh, we're, we're kind of starting to uh, make the turn into point pleasant uh and so we will we're going to spend a couple months in that area of west virginia uh before moving on to other topics uh so get ready for that come april um but that is it for this month want to thank you so much for joining us on this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us every day hopefully the men in black not surrounding us every single day because that'd be a little scary Ugh. uh if you have had an experience let's say you've experienced the men in black and not just the movie um, and you want to share it with us, uh, or if you've got questions, email us, please, at allnightgeeks at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at All Night Geeks. You can follow me at busbuddha71 on, uh, on both the socials. Uh, you can follow Seb over on Twitter. At Clan McMuffin. And you can follow John. I haven't been able to say that in a few months. <laughs> at JP Thrice. There you go. Hey, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. um, I I think even Pandora might have podcasts now. Who knows? Um, And be sure to rate and review us as well. Um, Give what's fair. I know everybody says, oh, five stars, five stars. If everybody gives five stars, five stars means nothing. So give us what you think is fair. And just as importantly, please share us with your friends confuse your enemies with us even uh word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around and we'd totally appreciate it if you tell at least one friend about the podcast um always always want to give huge thanks to the ghoulies for letting us use hot rods from outer space from the album midnight in america as our intro and outro music um man i you know what i'd love to see for 2022 a new ghoulies album that would be amazing uh give them a follow over on social media, hit up theghouliesdenver.bandcamp.com and buy their music. And uh, you know what? If you want, we got merch. Go get a shirt. Go grab some stickers. Uh, you know, probably slap the logo on a mug and have some sweet, sweet coffee. Um, go over and hit up shop.spreadshirt.com N-O-T-L-G. Uh, to check that out. And thanks, as always, to Kate the Steam-Powered Mouse for doing the show's artwork. Um, you know, I, I feel like some days it doesn't feel like it, but we are, we are still in a pandemic. Um, it's important to uh, support local artists, support local businesses. Uh, please, by all means, uh, you know, if, if uh, uh, you got someone local who does some great stuff, you know, make sure to support them first. And, hey, you know what? I'm going to take a moment here to get just a smidge political Um, you know, if there are some resources, uh, to help support, uh, the people of Ukraine, uh, right now, and, and definitely I would say, um, any resources that are helping transgendered people in, uh, states that are enacting some just really horrific laws, uh, to, um, take away their rights, uh, and, and their, their ability to live the lives that they want to live, uh. By all means, support those, please. Uh, If you you do all that and you still want to support us and throw a few bones our way, you can absolutely do that at patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. Um, You guys, that's it for us this month. Uh, Nobody's walked over to me just yet with a a mind-wiping device. So we will catch you next month. And in the meantime, (laughs) get out and find something weird. Good night. Good night, folks.
2: Nicely done, yeah. I have to look out my window because there's a, like, from my view, um, there is a uh, lamppost across the way that's just, like, shining down. and I'm like, man,
1: <laughs> they better not. Are there any shadowy figures at the bottom of it? No, they're not, no. Okay.